0: Guys, this week's topic is a really important one that we haven't covered a lot, and it's about backcountry first aid. Backcountry meaning just just being in the field, so it doesn't matter if you're way in the backcountry or you're base camping or whatever. This first aid is, uh, this information is coming at you from somebody who spent years and multiple deployments overseas in combat zones as a combat medic, To somebody who now creates these uh, outdoor first aid kits called Jimmy kits and they're really cool This is a great episode and you're gonna get a lot out of it. Let's go There exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away and we won't stand for it Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul in this show Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the Western Huntsman Podcast. This is Jim Huntsman coming at you from the Broken Time studio right here in Hayden, Idaho. And I am pumped for this episode. This is a really, really good one. Uh, and it's a topic I've been wanting to talk about for a super long time, all centered around first aid and and what to, what to carry with you when you're in the field. Again, like I said in the very beginning, there it doesn't matter if you're way in the backcountry or if you're just base camping. This is uh, this is the kind of stuff that is just the information that you need to make sure you're safe and you know what to do in case of an emergency or just a, an injury. Um, the one thing that we didn't talk about uh, that uh, he wanted me to bring up prior to um, getting this episode out is talking about having some super glue and super glue to kind of patch up a wound. Um, that is something that is viable and should be in your pack. Some kind of super glue uh, for those, those wounds. I, I always carry this stuff called zip stitch. But that's only going to work if like it's a straight laceration, you know. Like it's most most of these lacerations are going to be they're they're not going to be straight. They're going to be like jagged. They're going to be weird shapes or whatever. And that zip, zip stitch stuff isn't going to work super great on that. Uh, where super glue can, um, and it's it's great to have in a pinch. And that's that's basically uh, what what I would recommend and what Jimmy recommends. And uh, this uh, this week's guest, his name I didn't even introduce him. Man, I didn't bring my A game. But his name is G, uh, Jimmy Grunwald. And Jimmy is a Special Forces uh, combat medic who has spent a lot of time in combat zones. And he, he kind of brought that expertise that he learned in the service home as a civilian and has created something called Orion Medical Consulting. And uh, I'm going to put the website in the show notes, and you can get what is called an outdoor uh, first aid kit or... Uh, what it's going to be known in the future as a jimmy kit and this is a really practical very pragmatic uh, first aid kit for you guys to keep in your packs and they kind of jimmy goes to like all the elk shaped camps with dan staton and he's he's the the guy they dub for uh, all the all the like medical first aid you know kind of kind of stuff all, part of that class in that course and we talk a little bit about that within the episode so i won't get too much into that the point is uh, Jimmy knows his stuff, and he came highly, highly recommended from more than one person to come on the show. Uh, he is a very down-to-earth, great dude. Lots of credibility on this on this subject matter. And I mean, if you can if you can go to either Iraq or Afghanistan like six or seven different times, which he did, and and uh, spent as much time as he did patching people up in a combat zone. Uh, you know he's the right guy to give you the right kind of advice in case you're out in the field and you know you break your ankle on some deadfall or you cut your cut your arm open, uh, you know, gutting a deer or something. You know that that's the kind of stuff we're gonna be talking about. And this is a super important conversation, and I think it's one of the most important ones we've we've done. So. Um, on that note, when I, I told you I put the the website, uh, his website. Sorry, I'm trying to read his website as, as I'm talking here. It's not working. Um, I'm gonna put his website in the show notes here, and he has given us a discount code for you guys. If you want to order one of the Jimmy kits, one of the first aid kits, uh, the promo code is Huntsman21. Make sure you use that. It, uh, again, that that's not like some formal sponsor for the show either. I always like to clarify that I'm not getting a commission if you guys do that. It's just like Batum907. Uh, they're super nice, and and he was he was super nice and nice enough to give us this promo code that saves you guys some money, and it's just strictly for that benefit of uh, of our listeners here at the show. So um, jump on there if you guys are interested in getting this kit. I'm buying one uh, because I, I I think it's like just the most practical kit I've ever seen and it's it's going to go a long way. So, before we get there, I want to tell you guys I, I made a post yesterday on our social media sites and stuff and I want to talk about that for just a minute cuz I uh for, for many of you, you know, I went and set my first bear bait barrel setup ever. I've I've never done it before. I've never I've never baited bears. And so I know I know nothing about it. And when I went a couple of days ago to go check the bait and I, I was super stealthy going in because I wasn't sure, you know, if there's, there's, there's going to be a barrel or a bear on the barrel or anything like that. So I'm sneaking in there. And how, how I set this up is I've got like this nest of rocks that give me a really good hiding spot. Uh, so I don't have to like drag a blind or a stand in there. And I've, I just set it up in this, this spot where I can look down on this barrel um, uh, where I got the bait at. And I have, you know, a lot of friends that have set barrels out there, and they're trying to bait these bears and stuff. And they've, they've been out there for like a month, and, and they don't have any bears. Or maybe they've had one or two bears coming in. And uh, the, the, so I, I didn't have a lot of expectations because, again, these guys, they know more about it than I do. Uh, but what I did is I applied a lot of the knowledge that I've learned from talking to some of the other guests out there on the show – Um, and just people basically out there that that have a lot more experience in this, this whole bear baiting world than I do, because it's, you know, one of those things, if you're not an expert, well, I'll circle back to that. So I'm sneaking up and, uh, I come around where the, the, the rocks are. I told you I had that little rock. It's like a nest up there. I just, I can sit in there and hide in the rocks and it's perfect for thermals and stuff. I come around the rock and I see something dark down by the barrel, and I'm like, "What is that?" And it's kind of moving. And I thought, "Okay, there's that's a bear." And I take another step, and I kind of I step on a dry stick, of course, (laughs) and uh, the bear looks up at me, and it's it's a black bear, pretty decent size, not like a terror. Like I would have shot it, but he heard me snap that stick and turn around and boogied right down into the drainage where I knew that I was going to be pulling him out of. Then I checked the camera after, and, I mean, I've had bears there within 24 hours after setting my bait barrel. I've had bears there every day, like multiple times a day. From what I could tell, I've got like seven different bears coming in. I haven't seen any cubs. Like, it's all sows and, and boar. Uh, that are coming in on, on this barrel checking it out and, and they pulled my scent ball down from Batum 907 and all also they, they were like playing tug of war with it. They actually climbed up in the tree and somehow got this thing out of the tree, which I thought I was like, OK, I got this thing set. Perfect, man. They're not going to be able to get it. Nope, they got it. <laughs> and so it's just an interesting thing. It's an interesting concept. Uh, this whole baiting thing and and the uh, if anybody thinks baiting is easy you haven't done it it's a lot of freaking work i mean it is a lot of work and it doesn't always work but what i wanted to just kind of describe for you guys is when you are somebody that doesn't know anything about th- this particular aspect of hunting right like like for me for bear baiting so i'm 40 years old i have been hunting whether since long before i was even legal to hunt in terms of having a tag because i i would go out when i was four and five years old with my dad and i that's how long i've been hunting and so you would think that okay here's a dude you know he's been out there hunting for like 35 years Uh, can't teach an old dog new tricks whatever don't let your ego get in the way of that and and I because I've been guilty of that where it's like where how am I gonna learn anything from somebody else you know I've been doing this and I've been doing that and notch this many tags and blah 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 but I'm an I'm like an open book with this I, if, if I don't know anything about a certain topic of uh, in terms of hunting and, and my experience and my success levels and all that kind of stuff i I'm like brutally honest about it and you guys know if you've listened to this show I don't I, don't, uh, I, I am not the world's best hunter, I and, th- and that's not the point of my podcast. My podcast, I didn't start it because I'm this expert hunter that is going to offer all this wisdom to people. No, quite the opposite. I am an okay hunter at some things, and I bring in experts that are really good, and I take that information and I apply it in the field. I don't let my ego get in my way. I don't let my experience level get in the way or my age get in the way. I take from, and I don't care who it is, if they know more about the topic, I soak that information up. And that's where it gets important. Don't be afraid to learn from people. And don't be afraid to soak in the knowledge and apply things that you may think you know, but maybe you don't. And that's what I said in that post. Like, everybody wants to be a hunting expert before they're actual hunting experts. And I am no expert. Uh, with any. I mean, I, I'm not even an expert at making podcasts, man. So the, the point is, is just always keep your, your mind open and yourself open to new information and new friends and new advice and pieces of wisdom and, and these uh, educational nuggets that come out of a lot of this stuff because for me, a guy that's never set a bear bait uh, goes up there and I, I took all that information that I've been learning and working on And I applied it. I didn't second guess their experience or expertise. I I applied it the way that they told me to do it. And that's why I have seven plus bears coming into my bait site every single day. And I can be picky as I go out this weekend and hunt bears. That's the moral of the story. It was kind of a long-winded way to get to it, but that's that's kind of the 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 just the message I I wanted to leave you guys with before I bring the guest in for this week is is you know just always be open to learning and and you will be surprised as to what you pick up and what the the information that you retain and sometimes you'll just be surprised by by, with who you learned it from and that's an important thing. So again, to, to all the guests out there in the past and. Friends I've made out of the podcast uh, and the conversations we've had. Thank you guys that are willing to share your knowledge and help people like me b- b- go above just not knowing what we're doing, right? Uh, thank you for sharing your knowledge and letting me learn and, and everybody in this audience learn. And many of you listening in this audience could school me on a lot of different things. And so that's, that's what I love about doing this is, as I've, I've said it a million times, i jim huntsman am not the western huntsman the western huntsman is a logo and a platform for collective western hunters and we are all western Huntsmen, right we hunt the west and and that's that's the point of this and and i've, I've learned so much from doing this and and uh that i just i encourage you guys out there listening to to be open-minded and try to learn and and don't don't try to be experts before you're not an expert that then that, and, and that's it that's it. I think that's a that's a really good lesson. So, <laughs> with that lesson out of the way, uh, let's get into it with uh, Jimmy. Like I said, Jimmy Grunewald, Um, he's got a company called Orion Medical Consulting, and he's got uh, this really badass first aid kit for for hunters. It's designed specifically for hunters. And uh, whether you're hunting out west or you're hunting, you know, somewhere back east or whatever, if you're in the field, this is the kind of kit you're gonna want to have in case you get yourself in a pickle. And Jimmy was kind enough to give us the discount code and that's Huntsman21 that gives you free shipping on this product it's uh, actually a really good deal for this for this caliber of a uh, of a kit and it what it does is it decomplicates it 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 simplifies what you need in a first aid kit what's important things that have multiple uses and things that you're most likely to need in the field we're going to get into all that so without further ado guys give it up for my good friend jimmy uh he's a great dude. you guys are gonna really like him i know i say that a lot i know but he's a legitimate american hero he will motivate you he will inspire you and let's give it up for my good friend jimmy and here we go Buckle up, this week I've got my buddy Jimmy Grunwald, and uh, we are going to be, this is going to be a great episode, I'm really excited about this one, Jimmy is um, one of those guys that has a background in a lot of uh, the the medical side and Jimmy you're going to be able to explain this a lot better than I can because I purposely didn't learn too much about you uh, so that I can dig all the information out of you during this episode and really looking forward to it man, I appreciate you coming on, thanks for being here.
1: Oh, thank you very much, Jim. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to this as well. I'm a longtime listener of the podcast, so it's this is great.
0: Man, I that's that's awesome, man. I always like hearing that. That's uh, you never know who's out there listening. So, so sometimes it's cool to hear some of the feedback like that. But the, for, I mean, first things first. Did I pronounce your last name right?
1: Yes, sir. Yes,
0: sir. Okay, cool. So I want to tell people how this episode came about, um, and and what what happened, how kind of we got connected here, because um. You're in Wisconsin, right?
1: Yep, that is correct.
0: Okay. And so I was listening to uh, the Elk Shape podcast uh, with Dan Staten, and he had Dirk Durham on, and they were talking about you and your first aid kit, your outdoor first aid kit that they call, uh, they, they, they've called it the Jimmy Kit. And um, it, it was super intriguing. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I texted Dirk and he's like oh man yeah you got to get jimmy on and talk about that thing and so it sounds like what what has happened is so for anybody that doesn't know Dan Staten with Elk Shape does something called the Elk Shape boot camp is that what he calls it the boot camp or is it elk shape camp elk he, camp he,
1: yeah he just he just calls it a uh, elk shape camp
0: elk shape camp and and this is a this is a thing that Dan does where he he's, does like 3 days where he has everybody come into this it's like a seminar thing and it's uh he's got brings in all sorts of experts like you Jimmy he brings in Dirk Durham he brings in like Joel Turner and all these folks that come in and it's like this big whole it's beyond elk 101 kind of stuff it is like really dialed in he talks about fitness and shooting and bow setups and calling and I mean everything and it's a great camp um and that's how you kind of got linked up with him is that correct
1: that is correct. Yeah. So I actually found Dan uh, via the Internet because I, I actually downloaded one of his fitness programs, the uh, 90 Days of Freedom. And I was like, man, this guy, this guy really gets it. You know, I, yeah. I had a special operations background, so I was looking to get um, looking to get. You know, get my lungs back underneath me going out west, living in Wisconsin here where I'm about uh, 300 feet above sea level. So, <laughs> you know, the, the mountains are the mountains are much like the water. It's it's the great equalizer. Mm-hmm. And I found out about these elk shaped camps and I signed up to go to the one down in Texas. And I, I was like, hey, I'm coming down to this elk shaped camp. Um, I'd you know, I I told him my background. I said I'd love to come down it while I'm there and and if you need somebody to talk medical first aid, I, I'd love to do it. And he said, absolutely, we want to have you down there. And the rest is history. I got to go down there. I got to I got to teach and I saw the product that Dan had where I was like. I mean, he's a type of person that just you know you just gravitate towards him. He's got a big gravitational pull, yeah. And he's just got that that personality and really the mindset that really wants to empower you to to really be a better version of yourself. And the team of with him, uh, Jeff Byum and Dirk Durham, you know, who connected us, it, they're just a phenomenal group of individuals.
0: Dan is one of those guys that. Um, cause I do, I'm not, I don't ever tell people, oh, you need to follow this guy. You need to follow that lady. You need to do this. You need to do that. You know? Um, but in terms of, you know, along those lines, if, if there was somebody I recommend, especially new elk hunters to follow, it's Dan Staten. And it, it, because Dan is just, like you said, everybody gravitates to him. He's so engaging and he's so, um, humble about his background and the dude is a straight up elk killing machine uh and and you'd never you'd never know it just by talking to him because he doesn't he's not like super braggadocious about it but he is he is a straight up elk killer and he's super motivating so um that's a plug out there for if you guys listening have not checked out the elk shape platform and the elk shape boot or camps i keep wanting to call them boot camp the elk shape camps you guys need to check it out like it's it's one of those kind of life-altering kind of programs And, uh, yeah, totally recommend that. So Jimmy, let's get back to you. And, um, I want to, I want to talk about like your background. How'd you get into what you do now? And, uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, where you grew up and, and we'll, we'll get to the nuts and bolts of it from there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I I grew up in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And, you know, I I grew up as a whitetail hunter. So my grandpa got me into hunting, got me and my brother into hunting. And, you know, he really taught us a lot about land navigation and basically just dropping us off in the woods with a compass and teaching us how to do terrain association. Now, we don't have a lot of mountains and things like that, Wisconsin. But I when I I really learned a lot about land navigation and just, you know, basic woodsmanship. Now he was not a bow hunter per se. Uh, never really bow hunted. My wife actually is the one that got me into bow hunting. She, her and her dad, my father-in-law, they were big time archery shooters. And when I started dating her, we, he, they got, he got me into shooting a bow and I think my wife has regretted that ever since. So <laughs> it's been, uh, but yeah, so I, I went to college in in Wisconsin at, at the University of Stevens Point, and I joined the military uh, back in 2004. And I was originally going to be in the military to to become a, a doctor. And when I, I was a 18 year old kid, and they gave me the opportunity to go down and train with the special forces soldiers down at uh, just uh, uh, down at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and oh, yeah. I went down there. and And basically was in the in the field with them for about three and a half weeks. And I came out of that uh, definitely a changed person where I was like, I, I wanted to get to that place. And it wasn't just the you know, it was just the way I saw them carry themselves, the professionalism they had, the dedication to their craft that really drew me to that community. So. Long story short, I I was like, okay, the best way I need to get there is to go to airborne school. So the next summer, as a as a 19 year old cadet, I went down to Fort Benning, Georgia, and uh, did my five jumps down there, and uh, graduated airborne school. Nice. And yeah, so fast forward, you know, I was getting ready to graduate, and then the troop surge hit in 2007, 2008. So they're like, hey, you know, you're not going to go to med school, which I was totally fine with because I was so thankful that you know Uncle Sam was able to to give me the training and to be able to you know provide me with the education. It's it's the least I, I was super stoked. I was like, all right, yep, no problem. They they're like, have you thought about becoming a physician assistant? And you know, in the army, a physician assistant, you are the head person for you're the head medical person for your battalion. So that's about eight hundred people that you're responsible so for. So
0: how how does that work in, in cause in, in the Marines we had corpsmen, right, attached to each platoon. Yep. And so in the army, in special forces, you guys have like a dock attached to each platoon or squad or or whatever, and then they all kind of report to you as as the battalion physician assist, assistant assistant.
1: So the way that it's structured in the army is, is we'll have different, uh, we'll have company senior medics and then it's, it's structured very similarly where they'll have a company and then they'll have company senior medics and then all the medics will report to you and you know, you're, you're responsible for then all those individuals. And really it's more of the training. And then, you know, you may, for a deployment, you might have a doctor attached to you, but that's not always the case. So, I graduated PA school. I was, I think, I was a uh, 23 when I graduated, and that's, I went straight that's to the 80s. young, yeah. man. Yeah, so I was, I was a kind of a, an experiment for the army because when they grew the when they grew the army like they did back in 2007, 2008, they needed more PAs to help fill those slots. So they said, "Hey, you, you know, have you ever thought about becoming a PA?" And I it was like, yeah, absolutely. They're like, well, we're going to send you down to Fort Sam Houston, was down there, did all my my clinical, my, uh, you know, your academic year. And then after I, I, when I was down there, I got to pick where I wanted to go for my, uh, my clinical rotations. And I knew I wanted to deploy right away. So I figured the best way to do that would be go back to Fort Bragg and go to the center of the universe and, and uh, work as hard as I can. So I, I went there and got really just drank from the fire hose for about a year. And then, as soon as I graduated, I was off to the 82nd Airborne Division, uh, 4th Brigade Combat Team, 508th Parachute Infantry Regiment, and I got everything I asked for. It was great. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I got to do a lot of a lot of in the field work, and when I deployed, you know, I got farmed out to a lot of the infantry companies that when they would go out and do patrols. So I just got to I got to go along right there with them, and wow. it, it was it was the best. You know, I I had to just. I was very fortunate to be surrounded by just mountains of men and women that cared about what they did and and really looked after me to make sure that I was always in the right place and and doing the right thing. So it was it was a great, great experience. And uh, one of the things I found when I was doing that is when you're out there like with a lot of people don't realize like how much extra gear you carry. Like I only weigh Mm -hmm. about maybe at the time I was probably like a buck seventy And with all my gear on, I weighed close to 289 pounds with ammo, everything else. And I was having to carry my medical kit on top of that. So I started to get really selective on what I was carrying. You know, it's uh, because you start to find out after you start treating a number of casualties, what you really used and what really mattered. Yeah, because. And then you start dumping that, you know, if you, I actually have a picture that I show people of me on my first combat mission. I'm all, I'm like tactic cooled out. Like I have all these pockets and everything and all these (laughs) little pouches. And then I have a picture of me on my last deployment, my last combat mission. And it's just like my plate carrier is just slick. I just have ammo and a couple tourniquets and that's it. Everything else is just ammo.
0: That's (laughs) That's a great point. I'm glad you talked about that, man, because that's a it's something I've talked about on the show in the past. With um, you know, it's cool having a military guy on. Um, I I always get a kick out of some not that I'm making fun of anybody, right? But when when people kind of get a little braggy about they're carrying 35 pounds this many miles, and and it always yeah. takes me back to. Uh, you know, you 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 take a time in Iraq when um, thirty pounds was my flak jacket, right? Right. Y- you know exactly. th- those those plates that go into the flak jacket, and and you know I'm I'm humping all this ammo into there, and and these these sh- the shittiest pack you can imagine, stuffed to the brim, <laughs> the shittiest yep. set of boots you can imagine, and w- we're not going ten miles, we're going thirty miles, a- and so. It's it's always one of those things I think about when uh, again I'm not it's not like I'm looking down on anybody for the, for that kind of stuff but being being super braggadocious about how tough somebody is carrying 30 pounds up a mountain has never gone 30 miles in Iraq
1: and uh, yeah it- Exactly. I think that's the one thing that that the military does is it gives you just great perspective, you know, no matter what, no matter what the situation is. And yeah, it was a great time for me, a great place to grow up in in the 82nd. I had great commanders. And when I was on that first deployment, I was like, okay, I want to go to special operations. So I, you know, I, being a, a new PA, I had a deployment under my belt. So that was kind of the first gatekeeper to, to be able to apply. And I applied to the, the 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment, or the 160th SOAR out of Fort Campbell, and was fortunate enough to be invited for an assessment and, and uh, was was blessed to have passed that assessment. And then from there I went into a, about a, a year and a half long training pipeline where I got to focus more on the critical care medicine. So the 160th job, you know, we're the ones that are dropping off those special operations units. Uh, you know, we're, we're the ones that are bringing them to the target. And, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's our motto plus or minus 30 seconds. You know, if we drop, if, if we drop you in there, we're coming to get you out yeah. regardless of what's going on. And, the the men and women that serve there are just phenomenal groups of people. And it really like I'd never worked so hard to be mediocre. You know, it was like <laughs> it was like the people there, I, I was it. like, wow. I am just like I remember half the time during my training, you know, what I would just call my wife and we just had our, our second son was just born and I was like, hey, you know, don't unpack anything. I'm going to get fired, you know, just because <laughs> there's no way that I'm going to be able to keep this up. And and I was just I just had really great instructors. And what was nice about that experience is, you know, we would go to some of these austere environments and you're the head person in charge. When you get to that level, you know, they expect it's it's an implied task that you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. and you're responsible for everything that goes on medically so when they you know show up it's not just about treating trauma patients but treating sick call patients you know hey do we have to worry about malaria are there any crazy you know uh health things going on you know like i mean you know covid being one of them sure you're you're directly responsible for that so it really got me tuned in to being able to really refine the equipment and the gear that i'm that i'm bringing so and, uh, you know, it was, it was great. I did, uh, I did a total of six deployments total. And then I hit my, my two year mark,
0: man. six,
1: yeah, six deployments. It was, it was a lot of fun. I, you know, my wife had to do the hard job. You know, I got to do all the fun stuff and, you know, she was back home holding down the fort, you know, with, with two boys. And, uh, yeah, she, she had the, she had the toughest job. So How, how'd you meet your wife? So we actually went to high school together. She lived across the street from me. And uh, I actually was her um, donor aide at a blood bank in high school. And that's how I that's how I met her. Oh, cool. yeah, there was some there, there was some guy that was actually in head of me in uh, head of me that was going to uh, take her, her, you know, be her donor aide, And I was like, I knew I wanted to talk to her. So I was like, hey, man, so and so needs to talk to you. And then I just totally uh, took his, uh, (laughs) took his spot. So I like it, man. You go after it. (laughs) That's right. And then I, you know, my wife just says over the years, you know, I just kind of just wore her down after a a long game of attrition. And then she, you know, she had no choice, but to say yes.
0: Finally, <laughs> she succumbed, man. It, that's that's, that's, how a, that's happens. right. It must be yeah. a, it must be a thing for a uh, dude's named Jim or Jimmy or, or, or something, man, because I, I had to kind of do the same thing with my wife. It took, she, oh, but, she turned me down like six times before she finally said yes to me, taking her on a date. So that's awesome. Interesting.
1: Yep. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, so I, I got, I was at my 10 year mark. and and at the 160th. And, you know, I really, I, you get that spot in the military where it's like, okay, you know, you're not going to be getting to do the fun things anymore and you're going to have to get more, you know, doing more administrative tasks. And I was still pretty young at that point, you know, I was like 32. So I was like, Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, I, I I feel like I have a lot more to give on the operational side and I really enjoy teaching. So, you know, I made the, I made the leap of faith where I was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm gonna walk away, and uh, I transitioned over to the National Guard, and and I, I left, you know, the my the dream job I had, and didn't really know what I was getting myself into. Uh, so I, I basically did a 180 and plunged full fledged into uh, the civilian ER where I work at a level two trauma center and uh, a critical access hospital in northern Wisconsin, where I'm serving as the as the sole the sole medical provider for the entire hospital, and it's a totally different world. You know, I went from, you know, plugging holes and putting tourniquets on and to, you know, heart attacks and strokes. And it's like, Oh man, this is a total, total, total game changer for me. And was, yeah, I was just very fortunate to have a a really good group of of docs that I work with that, you know, were patient with me and and really trained me up. And that's been the, the constant theme of, of, uh, of my uh my underperformance is that i'm just i'm just blessed to be surrounded by people that one care and they're like hey man you should probably just correct your azimuth a little bit here so
0: okay i so i'm starting to i'm starting to see why um dirk was so adamant about how cool it would be to get you on the show because that you're a super humble guy but you've got a bad ass history i mean that is badass stuff six deployments dude and that um, for for folks that don't understand the magnitude of what just one deployment can do to your life, um, six is just incredible. And I appreciate uh, the fact that that you are willing to do that, and that you're humbled by it, and and you've just got this grace about you that uh, I think uh, we we need more of in this country. So so thanks for that, man. That's 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 a great that's a killer background. I think we we've definitely set up some credibility on on what we're talking about. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, and that's that's the thing where I, you know, where I where I came from. I mean, it was just you had I had guys that were that were training me that were in, you know, at Roberts Ridge and at at Mogadishu in Somalia. So and they were just passing those life lessons down to us and so I feel like I mean, I owe it to them to pay it forward because, you know, that's that's the only thing after, you know, that when they got done training me it's like, man, that that was life-changing how do i i don't you know saying thank you isn't you know they're like nope it's your job to train the next generation so however i can i can do that and this has just been a, a great platform for me you know in the hunting community that i i didn't really know existed until i started to get into western hunting myself and it's just been it's been phenomenal
0: and so tell us a little bit about that uh with western hunting you you when you get out of the military did you just kind of have this because you'd always been a whitetail hunter um you just get a hinkering to come out west and, and chase an elk or mule deer or something
1: yeah. So how it got started is, is, you know, I, I struggled. Uh, I struggled pretty hard after getting out. You know, it's kind of one of those things where the merry-go-round stops. And, yeah, you know, I, know. I, I just, I, you know, it's one of those ones where I just, I feel like I wasn't contributing something to something greater than myself. You know, I wasn't part of that team anymore. And I didn't, I didn't have a mission anymore. And that was the big thing. It's like, you, you know, I always talk to vets that are getting out as it's like, hey, you have to find your mission. And yeah. go for
0: it. Can, I, can, can we talk about that for a minute and we'll come back <laughs> to the Western hunting? Uh, Absolutely. Because that's that's something that I don't think gets enough attention. Because uh, I struggled when, when I got out of the, the military as well. And I think a lot of people do. Uh, right. What was the hardest thing for you? Was it the lack of mission? Was it the lifestyle? Like, what What was the most difficult thing for you transitioning from 10 years of military service to civilian all of a sudden?
1: Oh I, you hit it right on the head with the lack of mission you know you went to being like i felt like i was this this integral part you know and and you felt like you were you had to be you know my biggest fear when i was when i was in and i i know 110% it was the same for you it wasn't about getting hurt it was about i am going to not be able to do my job and it's going to let my team down and somebody else is going to get hurt because my inability to do my job mm. and and that's where i you know i just didn't have that that purpose anymore because it was, you know, I transitioned and it's like, okay, this is my, you know, you go to your hospital and it's great. You know, you take care of patients and I love that, but it wasn't that same connection that you had with the guys and, and it wasn't that same, you know, not everybody has that same dedication to duty and the the mission. So it's like, oh man, this is a huge, a huge, a huge paradigm shift. And I I really, yeah. And my wife actually was like, Hey, why don't you just get back into hunting? You know, have you, have you just, why don't you just go and get back into, into bow hunting again? And I know she's definitely regretting that now, <laughs> especially with all the equipment that's now sitting in the garage. But yeah, um, it, it was just, she's like, you need to get back into hunting. So I started to get back into whitetail hunting because, and uh, I really enjoyed it. And then I just was like, I want to go out West. Did, I want to go.
0: Did that kind of help um, foster, a sense of mission or like a, a sense of purpose, uh, after, because I, I, and I just want to touch on this real quick. Like again, I don't think it gets enough attention for, for in my circumstance, the Iraq war started the exact week that I was supposed to EAS and get out of the Marines. Right. And instead of coming home and, and getting out, um, they sent us to Iraq. And, and so because of that, when we got home from Iraq, we were all stop lost, right? We get yeah. home from Iraq, and they they transitioned us out of the military as fast as possible. So so basically, what what happened was we went from like combat Iraq to civilian within like a anywhere from a four to six week time period, depending on on how quickly they processed you out. And I found myself back home, all of a sudden, surrounded by people that were complaining and bitching about how many hours they worked at Taco Bell. And moving slowly through the grocery store, and just everybody's got their own self-serving purpose, and that that not saying that that's right or wrong, but I had this weird um, feeling that I didn't belong, right? And, and yeah. it was it was uh, a lot more painful and difficult than I let on, and uh, I just you know for somebody like you could probably offer anybody who's listening who's transitioning to the the civilian the civilian world if I could get my words out right um what kind of words of advice or encouragement would would you have to somebody that might be struggling with that transition
1: absolutely the, the first thing is that you're not alone you know that's that's the hardest part right because you mm-hmm. you experience that and i i will say that's the one thing that i think the military has has really improved upon is that transition period because it used to be what your story was. I mean, that was it. Guys would get back and they'd be like, "Okay, you know, five five to six weeks later, bam, you're you're out on the streets again, and and yeah. trying to just get back into society again." I mean, I would have a, you know, I would have this period when I would come back, or my wife called it. She's like, "Oh, your your life without margins right now." You know, where it'd be like, "Yeah, hey, I'm gonna go buy a truck." You know, and it's <laughs> like the, yeah. you just have these you know, just in your, like you said, you know, like it's just perspective on things. Like when I hear people complain about things now, I'm like, okay, well, I'm not having a pack on my back. Nobody's shooting at me. Yeah, so exactly. this is like an okay day. But I think the the hardest part, you know, what, like what you said is just that feeling of isolationism where you're, you're sitting there, you're like, I feel like I can't connect with anybody. I don't know what I'm doing as far as like, how am I contributing to something? I think that's where hunting and the outdoors can really fill that void and have Mm -hmm. that, have that connectedness with other veterans that, you know, in, in just my experience, I've met so many other vets that have been through similar situations and just getting back into, and it's not the sense of going out and and killing an animal or anything like that—it's that's not it. It's the whole process behind it. It's the preparation, the attention to detail. It's the sense the, of
0: purpose. You, you know, yes. it's this purpose that is it, sure. It provides an adventure, right? Because, like you said, nobody's right. shooting at you anymore. Nobody's doing this. You're not in the middle of the desert drinking your uh, IV bag because your water truck got blown up, right? <laughs> right. Um, and that's a true story. Um, oh man, <laughs> it tasted like shit. Um, anyway, you, you, you have this, it gives you this sense of peace and purpose and, and a way to maybe relate to people that hadn't been in your shoes, you know? And, and so, right. like, I can't relate to this individual who just, you know, has, has never been there. Uh, but since he's a hunter, I can, I can now become, I, I could, like, relate to him and, and I can, we, we can have this, this connection, uh, that I was, I was so desperate for because, you, you know, when when you're in the service, you've got all these people around you that you all have the same mission. You have this connection. You know who farted by the way it smells, right? That's how close right, you are to exact, these people. And exactly. Um, yeah, I've I've never really had that conversation on this show, so it's it's interesting. I don't mean to get us off off topic, but mm-hmm. no, I appreciate no, your I, perspective.
1: Absolutely, and I think that's one thing that I'd love to help out in the veteran community is is getting more vets involved in in hunting. I think that can one it serves it serves a great purpose, and I think the more we can get them involved and in not just you know hunting, but you know in public lands and everything else, get them. I, I it's just going to yeah. benefit everybody.
0: Yep. Yep. For sure, man. I, I I appreciate all that. That's that's great stuff. I could keep that conversation going for like two more hours. So let's. Oh, same here. Let's transition back to. Uh, I think maybe in the future we should maybe revisit that conversation in in, in or for an episode. I think that'd be kind of cool. But that
1: would be um, awesome.
0: So you come out west
1: and start hunting. Yeah. So I actually, well, my brother and I, who's also a, a a veteran, he he was a combat medic that served in uh, First Cavalry Division. He actually was in Iraq. He came home from Iraq right when I was going to Afghanistan. So oh, wow. we yeah, so we're uh, right. Yeah, that's yeah. We so nobody in my family was ever military before my brother and myself and my sister, uh her her husband who also went out went as our hunting partner, he was in the Navy. So it's like we now have become this this military family. Cool, man. So that's awesome. Yeah. But my brother and I, we were like, Hey, like I, I was like, Hey, I want to go out West. Let's go out West. Let's do, you know, we, the way the schedule work, we, we ended up going out to Idaho, uh, for a mule deer. And I got a, a B tag for, uh, for antlerless elk. Oh, nice. And yeah, it was great experience. I mean, we, we were into to muleys every day. Unfortunately we didn't get, you know, we didn't get to, uh, we didn't get anything, but it was a very humbling experience, too. Mm-hmm. And just going out there and just trying to transition from, and you know, after going to Dan's elk shade camp, it's like, oh, cool. I did everything wrong. OK, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> like, every Everything you're not supposed to do. But it was it was great because we got to go out there. We got to carry heavy packs on our back. And one of the things that I found, were, which kind of got us into these eight kits, was I was looking for you know, what type of aid kit I should take out West. Cause I had all my tactical things, but I was like, all right, thinking about injury patterns. Well, I'm like, well, I'm going to see if there's anyone out there. And I, I couldn't find an aid kit that fit the bill. It was either a bunch of stuff that you really didn't need a bunch of these little bandages and, and antibiotic ointments where it's like, oh, that's not really going to do anything for you. And, and my wife was like, you should just make your own kit. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah you know, okay. Just kind of put it in the back of my mind and um, what part of that? When I was teaching down at Elk Shape, I like just I was like, here's what I would put in my aid kit. Boom, 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 and just listed out the items. And you know, they're like, why don't you make your own aid kit? So it's like, oh, my wife told me the same thing. So we, yeah. that's 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 where it got started. And you know, I was just looking when when I was down the gear rabbit hole of like, okay, here's here's what you have in your pack. And they'd do this big pack dump, and they'd have, you know, I was watching YouTube, and guys would be like, I wear this type of pant, I wear this base layer, I have this you know, food and they would get all into it. And then would be, then they just pick up their aid kit and be like, yep, here's my first aid kit. I'm like, that's not really big. What do you got in there? And yeah. then I was like, you know what, there, maybe this is something. Cause I was always looking for, like it was such the hunting community was such a big, just relief for me, like from, from a mental health perspective, I was like, I gotta be able, I want to give back to the way that the hunting community really helped me. And then I was like, okay, here it is. Maybe this is the one where I, I sure as heck can't give you anything as far as hunting knowledge goes. because um, I'm definitely not there. But what I can do is I, I know medicine. Mm-hmm. And I started started to think, OK, if I was going into the woods, what would I want you know, my family to carry? Because they might be the ones actually treating me. So we just made up, a, you know, I think the best thing, if, if you had to carry one piece of kit with you into the woods, it would be a tourniquet. Absolutely. Hands down, 100 mm-hmm. percent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, I used to when I would I would assess uh, docs, PAs and medics that were coming into the special operations community. And I would always ask them a question like, hey, if you had to bring one, you know, two pieces of gear to the next war, what would they be and why? And if their first que- if their first one wasn't a gun, then we had a different conversation. But it was always <laughs> like, you know, a, a gun and a tourniquet, uh, yeah. I think, is really the, the biggest. You know, I, I think that's one of the things that a lot of guys. And gals out there, you know, they, they always think like, yeah, that's not going to happen to me. Well, you know what, when you enter the mountains, you enter the food chain, yep. like you are not the apex predator. And it's not necessarily meaning it's a bear or a mountain lion, but you could you could slip off the side of the of a ravine. I've seen guys slice their hands, slice yeah. their legs on broadheads. It happens so quick. And
0: there's so and many things that can happen. Like the mountain is the apex predator. It's it doesn't matter absolutely. what's living out there. It's the mountain itself, right?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, a lot of folks think like, "Wow, that's that's a little bit extreme." It's like you know, you can bleed out like. Completely exsanguinate in about two to three minutes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's great that you have a Garmin InReach and you can hit the SOS button. But um, a helicopter, the skies aren't just going to part and a helicopter is going to appear. You know, that's yeah. it may take it may take several hours in order for rescue services to, it to most, get to you.
0: It most likely will take several hours.
1: Yeah. And that's where it's like, hey, you know, if we can, our big thing is we want to help educate and empower hunters, you know, just like, you know, getting their, you know, going and stalking that animal, give them the confidence that, hey, if I get hurt or my partner gets hurt, I can treat them and get them off the mountain.
0: if you're anything like me hunting is a year-round thing for you and we're always thinking about how to make our next upcoming season a little bit better and one way to do that is with gear and you guys know i'm not a big gear junkie but i do have some important gear items that i'm always a huge fan of and they're right here available on this show let's talk about scree gear scree is my go-to camo scree is high performance hunting attire and gear scientifically tested camo patterns and all backed by a great company and I wouldn't recommend it to you if I didn't truly believe in the Scree product. They've got a complete layering system for all terrain and conditions, gear designed to adapt to the weather, it's rugged gear, it's got a lifetime warranty, VIP sizing and exchange program. You can't go wrong with Scree. Get the best out there without breaking the bank, and to make it even better, use promo code THEWESTERNHUNTSMAN for 15% off and free shipping. Hell of a deal. Check it out at Screegear.com. Next on the list is my oldest and fondest sponsor of the show is Phelps Game Calls. One thing I love about companies like Phelps Game Calls is the American success story that came out of it. And Phelps started in Jason Phelps' garage years ago, and it's now one of the premier hunting call companies on the market. And I wouldn't point you in that direction if I didn't feel like they were the best calls available. Jump on phelpsgamecalls.com. When you find a call you like, use promo code HUNTSMAN10 for 10% off. I promise you, you will not regret it. Hoffman Boots. Hoffman Boots is a go-to boot company I've been using for years and years and years. And the cool thing about it is I'm only on my second pair of Hoffman Explorers. I put lots of miles on my Hoffman Explorers. They're a great boot. They're not going to cost you a small fortune to get. And they have all the same guarantees and warranties that every other company out there has. If you want to be confident, guys, do not skimp on boots. Go to HoffmanBoots.com get you a pair of, I, for, for me I like the 8 inch Explorers but they also have the 6 inch, they have all sorts of different options check it out at HopAndBoots.com and use promo code HUNTSMAN10 all caps lock for 10% off and last but not least is Tacticam are you interested in filming your hunt and are you interested in helping with conservation efforts throughout the uh, North American Continent Well, then I got a deal for you. Tacticam is a point of view type kind of camera that records in 4G. They also have other products like the film through scope, the FTS, and you attach that to your rifle scope and you can film your shot right there. And they have the mounts for your shoulder, for your head. You can mount it to your bow. You can mount it to wherever and whatever you want. Lots of versatility with the Tacticam. Other products include, but are not limited to, the fisheye camera. The Tacticam Spotter LR is definitely worth a look. If you want to film what you're seeing through your glass, while you're actively hunting and get it on camera, it's a great thing. But I think that the thing that I'm most excited about with Tacticam this year is the new reveal uh, cell cam that is coming out. This kind of this trail camera <clears throat> will send you images in real time as they're coming in. They've got like an enhanced antenna for better service. If you're like managing property or something like that, or you've got a bear bait set up somewhere that you have phone service, you can get those pictures right there to your phone. This uh, cell cam is super super cool. I'm really excited about it. And you can get all this at thewesternhuntsman.com forward slash gear. Go to the gear shop. You'll find all the Tacticam stuff right there. Uh, Best pricing out there on it. And uh, what happens is we split the uh, profitable revenue from these sales of the Tacticam gear. And half of it goes to conservation efforts, uh, which vary depending on what quarter of the year it is. Right now we're raising money and trying to get some money over to Sportsman's Alliance. It's a great cause. And that is what's going to go down when you shop for Tacticam gear at thewesternhuntsman.com. So go over there and check it out and get you a camera. Guys, let's get back into it. I sure appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great, man. And, and that kind of brings us to the, your company and, and what you guys, what you and your wife have, have started with this in, and, and kind of what I want to get into because, um, let's break it down a little bit. We've got, you've got all sorts of things that can happen on the mountain and, and there's going to be different things that happen depending on what region of the country you're in, right? So, you yeah, know, if, if you're in kind of the Southwest, you really got to think about, uh, rattlesnakes. If you're in, um my neck of the woods or wyoming or somewhere you really got to think about grizzly bears you know there's yep. just different things but i mean those are the obvious things it's also the you know you just slipped on some deadfall and sliced your arm open kind of situation which is which has happened right. to me or you're opening um of course I I'm going to use like Peak Refuel as, as an example but they it, they make it really easy to open but let's say it's not and you're using your pocket knife and you slice your leg um, Right. it's those kind of things that that I think a lot of people take for granted in terms of not not taking into account as as a risk um I I one time I, I almost poked my eye clean out, or clean out of my head one time because I was watching to the right and to the left as I you know, pointed my head back forward where I'm walking down this trail. This sharp stick was pointed off of this tree and got me right in the middle of the eye. And I, th- you know, what I think saved me is I was wearing a contact. And I, oh, I think, <laughs>
1: absolutely.
0: Yeah. You know, it's, it stopped it from, uh, from scratching my eye up really bad. So, anyway, what, what else, what do you think, uh, kind of along those lines? What, what do you think there's, uh, dangers and, and threats and, and, and things like that, injury wise, that you think maybe hunters don't think about a lot?
1: Yeah. So you, you hit, you hit the big one on the head there too, is, is, you know, just cuts, lacerations, you know, hitting, grabbing a broad head or, you know, slicing your hand open, but also sprains and strains. Those are going to be things like think about how much time and effort and money you've spent into planning a hunt only to step off a deadfall. And all of a sudden now you, your ankle is sprained and you can't, not just that. now it's not even if you can continue hunting, but let's say you're five miles from your truck. How Mm -hmm. are you going to get, how are you going to get back there? And what are you going to use to help to stabilize? You know, everybody has this, everybody has this, you know, illusion in their mind that they're just going to like, you know, MacGyver, some sort of splint. And I can tell you from personal experience that, you know, you're not going to rise to the occasion. You're just going to fall to the level of your training. Yeah. And where I'd like, yeah. And where I'd like to see is like, you know, I was told this when people ask about like, hey, when they do concealed carry and they're like, hey, what kind of gun should I get? Blah, blah, blah. I always think of it like what's your first aid do you carry a tourniquet because if you're carrying a gun you should probably carry a tourniquet too mm-hmm. and that's where it's trying to trying to change that thought process a little bit about self-preservation that being able to you know be a protector and being able to to take care of yourself if you're injured so i think you know hemorrhage is the big thing so bleeding so a tourniquet then you also got to think two sprains and strains. So like with our kit, we actually have a splint in there that's 36 inches that can be moldable, and then we also have an ace wrap, a six-inch ace wrap that's got some Velcro to it, so you can actually uh, you can actually use that to secure the splint. And we also keep we also have a uh, uh, hundred feet of duct tape in there too. I think duct tape works really well. I've actually used that to helps uh, to help almost do a wrap if if individuals sprain their ankle because. A lot of people, as soon as they sprain their ankle, they want to take their take their foot out of their boot and take a look at it. And it's like now that it's best to leave it in there until you can actually get back to get back to your truck mm-hmm. or, or get to get to a hospital. But the, we actually show like how to, split, how to use duct tape to kind of wrap your ankle in your boot to be able to effectively get uh, get off the mountain. We actually had to do that. Um, actually, we did that with one of our uh, one of our uh, medical folks that got injured when we were training in Norway. And we were like four miles out from where we needed to go and he sprained his ankle really bad. We actually just used this duct tape, you know, made a made a almost a makeshift splint out of duct tape. And he was still able to to complete the rest of the training evolution. So it it really works. Yeah. Yeah. And. So one of the big one of the big things too, like the, the equipment that we have, like everything that we have in our kit, I've used on a real world casualty. So that's why I was so, you know, so specific on the type of type of kit that I had and the the equipment is it had to be small, it had to be compact, and it had to have a purpose. Okay. Most well, times it needed to have at least two purposes.
0: And and we need to we need to back up just a minute and talk about okay yeah. you, you started Orion Medical Consulting right? Yep. And it's it's you and your wife, and yep. uh. Dirk and, and uh, Dan Staten, they, they dubbed this thing the Jimmy Kit. But really what yeah. it's called is the Outdoor First Aid Kit. That is correct, Yeah. And I'm looking at it, and I, I just pulled it up online. Uh, yeah, website for you guys listening, orionmedical.org. Um, and you just go to the products, you know, the, the Outdoor First Aid Kit. But uh, there's there's a combat tourniquet application. There's compressed gauze, elastic wrap um then i scroll down here moleskin nar emergency trauma dressing what is that like a wet wipe kind of thing
1: no so so that's actually like it's a it's a flat battle dressing so oh, similar gotcha. to the yeah and it's and instead of being rolled up it's flat it's compact so it has a gauze and you basically put the gauze towards the wound and then you just wrap it just like you would an ace wrap and it actually has a self-adhering uh it has a, a self-adhering some velcro that it just it secures in it itself oh
0: okay cool cool okay so it, the, the packaging it looks like a wet wipe thing so i'm glad you yeah. explained that because i would have been yep. confused there but and then you've got the like you said the duct tape reinforcement tape and the sam splint 36 inch moldable sam splint um and that's
1: it and what does it weigh <laughs> Uh, it weighs a total of one pound, one ounce.
0: See, and that is one of the things that I've always had issues with, with like finding the right kind of first aid kit. Even the ones that are like, oh, this is a backpacker's first aid kit. Well, it's got all this stuff in there that I'll never use, first of all. And and second of all, they're they're usually kind of heavy, you know. And so right. um, I did kind of what you did in terms of making my own little kit. But the difference is, is you actually know what you're doing. Um, <laughs> actually, so I took EMT. I, I was an EMT uh that, but i never did it as a job i just went to the emt school and but sure. very basic basic stuff you know uh and so that was you know a good 18 years ago or so so i have no idea uh don't remember any of that clearly the certification is expired um but tell us a little bit about this kit what your thought process is behind everything in it and so that it, it kind of just comes together
1: yeah, absolutely. So when we look at this kit, I, I was the same. I had the same mindset as you. Is like I, I went out and bought a bunch of these kits that were on the market and just kind of looked through them. And it's really overwhelming. Like mm-hmm. you open up one of these kits and it's like, holy cow! What are all you know? You give these people all these choices. That it's just in the moment when your sympathetic nervous system is an overdrive, you are going to resort to muscle memory. So that's where it's like. If you have fewer items to choose from, we want to make sure that these items are, one, the minimum that you need, and two, that are going to be effective in in saving your life. So the the first one that I have is the tourniquet, the CAT tourniquet, which is the combat application tourniquet. And the reason we went with that one is it's ease of use. This tourniquet can be applied single-handedly, and it's very simple to use. You just route the one end through the buckle pull it all the way tight and you just secure that with that the the turning knob which is called the windlass and you just turn it until you get the bleeding to stop gotcha. and it's just it's ver- it's actually the tourniquet that's used by the US military and all their individual uh, first aid kits so it has a lot of data behind it uh, through the tactical combat casualty care Uh, review committee so it has a lot of data to support its effectiveness and its use
0: jimmy can you can you tell us exactly from you know an an actual professional like when is it time to use a tourniquet
1: so a tourniquet is always should be utilized when you see this real like bright red like pulsatile bleeding where it's just squirting that would be a good indication to use a tourniquet or if there's just a lot of blood where you're just like the entire, their entire pants leg or arm is completely soaked. You've tried to put a pressure dressing or a dressing on it. It's still bleeding through. That would be the time to apply a tourniquet. Okay. A lot of people, there's, there's a lot of fear about using tourniquets because folks are worried that, oh, if I lose if I use a tourniquet, they're going to lose their arm, yeah. you know? Yeah. And that's where like, yeah, organizations like stop the bleed are doing a really good job educating the public and its use of tourniquets but realistically you can leave a tourniquet on you know in the upwards i usually tell folks two, you know two to three hours typically it's usually four but i always tell people like it, you know in the, in the back country hey two hours you know is it sure. so that's a that's a that's a fair amount of time now we've actually done studies where they've had them you know on four hours where there's no there's no degradation or loss of limb but you know you know, the, the the scare, you know, the fear factor was, OK, if you, you put a tourniquet on, they're going to they're going to lose their leg or they're going to lose their arm. And that's not the case. Now, obviously, if you leave it on too long, you know, greater than greater than four or five hours. Yeah, you're probably going to have some some damage there. But for most of us, I mean, that's you're going to be able to, to save that person's life.
0: Yeah, I, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I'd I'd rather lose my leg and die yeah well right <laughs>
1: you know. it, it's like if we're in the back country and you put a tourniquet on and i lose my leg you're still going to get a christmas card from me
0: you know yeah, exactly so <laughs> when when you apply a tourniquet and let's say you've got this big gash on on just above your knee or something you know somewhere on your leg or thigh or somewhere um and, and you, you put the tourniquet on you stop the bleeding what do you do with the actual wound to to try to get out or try to wait for help or whatever does that make sense yep.
1: Yep. That's a great, that's a great question. So just to back up a little bit, when you're putting that tourniquet on, you all, you never want to go just above the wound. You want to go at least two inches higher, or I just tell folks in the heat of the moment to go, we, this was the training we used in the military, which is high and tight. So basically you just go as high up as you can go and, and put the tourniquet on just because you want to stop that, stop that bleeding. And it can go over, it can go over clothes. It's not a big deal. We'd like to get it skin on skin, but it, if you put it over there it's okay it's still going to be effective at, at stopping the uh stopping the bleed so once you have that tourniquet on and that bright red bleeding has stopped that's where you could utilize a the gauze that we have and the uh the flat pressure the flat bandage and you can actually wrap that bandage around that wound to keep it covered to try to help prevent infection-hmm
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so you just cover it, take the gauze and then the elastic wrap, and kind of go around it. Yep. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, what else? What we've got the the combat tourniquet uh, th- that is in there, and you've explained how to apply that, and then cover the cover the wound. I'm trying to think of like common injuries in the in the backcountry, yeah. or um, let's talk about so- spraining. Oh, go ahead. You you had something
1: there. So, so let's say you you brought up a you know, you, let's say you have an injury where you slice your hand and it's not a deep, it's not a deep cut, but it's still bleeding pretty profusely. Mm. Nothing that really would necessitate a tourniquet. What you can actually do is the, uh, the compressed gauze that we have in our kit, you can actually open that up and you can cut a piece of that gauze off and actually put it over the wound. And then you can actually use the rest of that gauze to wrap around it. And you have a makeshift, uh, makeshift bandage too. So I think, you know, cuts are one of those big ones that we always, you know, it, that are bigger than, than, uh, like you couldn't use a band-aid for, and this is a great way where our dressings come into play.
0: Okay. Okay. And I want to, I, I'm really excited about talking about this splint, the same splint. Oh, absolutely. That, yeah. So. so- just to put it into, one thing that I, I want to address real quick, for, for many of you listening, you're going to be a lot like me where most of the time you're hunting solo. And and that's where I think a lot of hunters can get into trouble. Um, I'm, I'm solo, I always say I'm solo probably 80 to 90% of the time. And so sometimes I'm several miles in by myself and I always worry about that, especially because you know I just I just turned 40. I'm getting a little bit older, getting a little bit more clumsy, kind of thing, you know. Um, I wanna I wanna make sure that I'm gonna be okay, especially hunting solo where I'm not gonna have any help. So, tell us a little bit about the Sam Splint, when to use it, and and kind of what the application is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the Sam Splint, uh, when you get it, it, it actually comes folded up, and it's about uh, I'd say maybe about 10 inches in, in length, and it's it's pretty. You, when you get it, it you you unfold it and it comes out and it's pretty flat. It's about maybe about four inches wide, and all you do is you can just bend the corners of it and it make it turns it into a, a pretty rigid splint. And you can use this both for arm injuries as well as leg injuries. So a lot of times when folks you know sprain their ankle, they're trying to get two. They're you know you've all heard the adage of like oh go get two sticks and you know you can tie them together with your shirt. It's like you know, if you sprain your ankle bad enough, you're not going to be able to move around, try to find two sticks. This splint, you can actually basically just make it into like a, a U shape over your, over the bottom of your foot and pull both sides up. And you can actually use our, either our flat bandage or that six inch ace wrap and actually wrap it around. And you have your own little makeshift splint, uh, for, for your lower extremity. And the reason we Go ahead, sorry. Well when you're
0: what I, I wanna getting back to you know, we talked about when to use a tourniquet. When, when you're putting this sam splint on, are you putting it like let's say you roll your ankle, it's like starting to bruise up or whatever. You you said to leave your boot on. Yep. And then and then where do you put the splint?
1: So you'd put the splint right over the top right over your boot, like you'd make it into almost like a U. So you'd you'd make it a U and put the put your foot uh, put, put it right on the outside of your boot, right on mm-hmm. the outside of your pant. And basically just, you almost want, you're almost like stepping into the U and you just use that ACE wrap to help secure it. And now you have a, you have a makeshift splint that's providing pretty good support on either side of your ankle. Sweet. And you're able to still, like, you're able to still, still walk on that if, if you can tolerate that, because it's not going to be, it's not going to be providing you that back and forth motion.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Interesting. So, and then you can, you're working on getting like a bag that this all comes in like a pouch kind of thing you were talking yep. about.
1: Yeah. Uh, and then right. we're also work. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> oh no, you go for it, man. So we're, we're actually coming out too with a video series. Uh, we're working with a production team that's going to come out with a, that to have a bunch of how to videos. So that way guys can view this, you know, at their leisure when they, when they get their, when they get their pack, they'll actually have a QR code that they can scan. And that gives us, that gives them a lifetime access to our video library where they can see how to use the equipment, recommended packing lists. And then, um, you know, we actually have a video of us showing you how to use the splint, how to apply it for like a lower extremity, like an ankle sprain to an arm fracture, how to make modified slings, tourniquet applications. So they'll get can't try to as much as possible like hands-on use on the equipment i think that's
0: super important man the video the video series is going to be like i will be a huge customer for that because um you know you know like i told you i i went to emt school and and actually was a certified emt basic but i i don't remember any of that like i don't remember any of that i worry uh if i need to give somebody cpr today i i feel like i'm i'm not prepared and i need to kind of relearn all that so the, the point being is, is stuff like that is when you get, when you get like a Jimmy kit or an outdoors first aid kit, are you going to like change the name officially to Jimmy kit? Or are you yeah. going <laughs>
1: to, you know, I know it's, you know, I, I really want to, we call it the Jimmy kit, but I'm always worried that from a, from a standpoint of like, you know, Hey, when somebody gets hurt and they want to run to their, you know, Hey, go get my aid kit. And somebody's like, Hey, go get my Jimmy kit. I, you know, I don't, Oh I don't yeah. In the whole, heat of the moment. Ch- ch- yeah in the heat of the moment, yeah. That's, that's what we were we were just talking about
0: yesterday actually. <laughs> I can see that being a problem. But the yeah. the point the point I was making there is like it's not like riding a bike with this kind of stuff. When when we're talking about first aid and knowing how to apply all these different things, it's not like once you know it, um you you, you just kind of, you know, are always going to know it. It's that's why, you know, anybody in the medical field they have to do like continued education all the time. And it's it's because I think that it's important that this stuff is always fresh in your mind. And so like for me, what I would do is prior to any hunting trip I'm going out on uh, for the first time in the year or whatever, I'm going to go through those videos like every year and and just make sure I remember because you got to remember if you're, let's say you're gutting an elk and the knife slips and you cut an artery on your leg and that thing is just pumping out blood, are you really going to have the, the state of mind To be like, oh, okay, I remember watching this video five years ago on how to apply this tourniquet, blah, blah, blah. No, it's going to be, like, super stressful. It's going to be, you're going to be, you know, your nerves are going to be fried. And you just, like you said, go back to the training. And and it has to be muscle memory. Just like calling an elk. It's got to be muscle memory. And so, how do you, what do you recommend Um, to, to build that muscle memory, I know you've got the videos coming out, but is there, is there something on top of that, whether you offer it or somebody else does or whatever to, to kind of build this muscle memory. So it's just kind of a, you know, second nature to, to put a tourniquet on.
1: No, I absolutely. So one of the other things that we're working with is trying to get out to as many of these hunting camps and trade shows, as well as, you know, uh, presentations where we can actually get folks with their hands on the equipment and show them actually how to use this in a real life scenario. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times for, for us, like in the special operations community, you know, we don't have a top secret tourniquet. You know, all we, we do is just we're masters of the basics and we just do the basics. It very, we practice it until it's like we used to do tourniquet drills in the dark where they'd actually blindfold you and you had to find it in your pack and put the tourniquet on. So you got that muscle memory down. Now I'm not saying folks have to go to that level for, you know, first aid kit, but you know, when they're practicing shooting, being like, okay, where are they putting their first aid kit uh, in their packs? Are they bearing it way at the bottom or are they keeping it on the outside? Are they, you know, so that way they know exactly and showing people that if they're hunting with a group, hey, this is where my first aid kit is, it's right here, and that it's easily identifiable and very easy to access.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Are there any, like, misconceptions that that you've noticed uh, hunters or, just you know, the general public, whatever, have about first aid that you'd like to, like, uh, put a squash to? Gosh, I'm trying to type here I no, stop typing because I'm, I'm typing no, out my questions
1: <laughs> no oh. absolutely i we hit the big one right away is that you know tourniquets are extremely dangerous they're not they're very safe to use and i think they there should be more of them um you know i i have a video actually of my uh he was five at the time i have him putting a tourniquet on my now nine-year-old son and just showing him like hey this is very easily easy to use and just making it more common, common practice. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where folks, you know, some folks say like, Hey, you know, and there's, there's, there's folks out there that, Hey, like, I'm not a blood person. Like I do not want, you know, like I just, that's not my thing. I enjoy hunting, but I just can't stand. That's fine. You know, we want to help empower those individuals, you know, even if it's just taking a, you know, a basic first aid, a basic CPR class, just getting that confidence in, just doing the reps, just like shooting your bow. I think that's really where, you know, I think the medical community can really help out the the, the hunters out there.
0: Gosh, that's what I love about the hunting community, just in general, man. And and just as a hunter, I love the fact that there's always something you can work to improve on, right? You can you can oh, work absolutely. to improve your shooting, improve your your shot placement with your bow. You can work on your first aid. You can work on your elk calling. You can work on your turkey calling. You know, all these things. It's just never ending, and I love it.
1: <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. And I'd love to see this too. One of the things that what I'm trying to do here in Wisconsin is get in with the, the hunters education community while they're teaching young kids on how to, you know, handle the firearm safety. It's like, Hey, also teaching them basic first aid and, you know, using tourniquets and being able to, to apply those dressings at, at a, at a young age, you know, I think those are, those are life essential skills.
0: For sure. I, that's huge, man. My, my daughters are in hunter safety right now. And I'm like, blown away with some of the things are I, I feel like they're focusing too much on unimportant topics um first aid would be an important one that I, I for, for me I mean just kind of yeah sense,
1: absolutely so. yeah absolutely I'm right there with you
0: have you ever seen a product and uh it's called zip stitch yes what's what's your take on that stuff
1: you know, I think those, um, I, I haven't used that one, uh, particular, I've used stuff like it. I think it, I think it definitely has its place, but I think y- you have to look at the type of wound that you have because some of those, some of those, uh, adhesives there, they weren't great for like straight cuts, but yeah, sometimes yeah, that's cuts. What, yeah. If they're that. not, if it's, yeah, if it's not a straight cut, Sometimes it can be a little bit difficult to close, and I'm really excited at the way, you know, with medical advancements that we're seeing. I, I think we're going to start seeing a lot of these in the, uh, in the future with, um, with some of these new, like, adhesive gels and things of that nature where, you know, like liquid bandages. But, yeah, the one thing with a lot of those self-closure devices, if you don't have a, a straight cut, uh, it can be a little bit difficult in getting closure.
0: That's that's exactly what I, I wanted to kind of cover with that because it's funny when you buy it. I bought one. And on yeah, the, I did too. On the packaging, it's got this picture of this perfectly straight little cut. And yep. I don't know about you, but when I when I cut, I, I'm looking at scars on my hands and arms right now from, you know, mainly when I was a kid not knowing how to use a pocket knife the right way, but none of them are straight. I mean, they're like all yeah. over the place. One looks like a Z and yep. I don't know how that zip stitch would work with something like that. Um, what about any other myths out there? I'm, I'm thinking of things like, um, you know, pouring a little gunpowder in your bleeding wound and, and lighting it to seal it off, you know, kind of just yeah. crazy stuff. What else is out there that yeah. we should dispel?
1: No, de- definitely do not. So we actually, um, I, I, I'm i sure you remember this too, when, when you were in the Marine Corps that they had, used to have this stuff called quick clot. It was the, it was like a powder mm-hmm. that we yep. used to pour pour into the wound similar to what you know they had on the revenant with hugh glass where he you know he's got that neck wound that he self-cauterizes by lighting gunpowder on fire (laughs) um but it was it was actually very kind of similar where we would pour this this adhesive into the into these wounds and it would basically cause this chemical reaction and cauterize it but what we found out is that it actually led to a lot of increase in mortality because it would just it would sear up all this good tissue as well so we went away from using the uh went away from using the, the powder and we actually have these uh impregnated dressings now with these uh anti-bleeding um properties to the to the bandages
0: Hmm. yeah yeah that that makes sense i didn't know that i'm glad you clarified that i think i have some of that somewhere it's, yeah but I, it's, it's probably expired
1: yeah. Well, and the, and the other part too, is like, if, if a helicopter would come in all that dust and powder, it was getting in people's eyes and causing reactions. So it's just, it was uh thankfully with technology, it's gone to where they've actually had these, you know, in you know, impregnated dressings with these hemostatic properties. Like they use, like it's like a, one uses kaolin, another one uses like a, it's like a shellfish type gr- It's a like ground up shellfish where it actually, it actually promotes, uh, like basically causes it to stop bleeding ah. now a lot i they do sell those but i think for most of the hunting community you know those dressings go for somewhere along the lines of like 40 to 50 dollars for one dressing where it's like you know i i've you, they're great dressings don't get me wrong but i have used you know just regular you know regular gauze and, and been, you know just as successful because for the most part those dressings are meant to be packed into a wound like a gunshot wound mm-hmm. and that and you and in order for those dressings to work, you actually have to hold direct pressure for about three minutes oh, in wow. order for those to really really to be effective. Yeah.
0: You you kind of brought up something there. Let's talk about infection for a minute and and kinda um I know there's a lot of information out there, but when you do cut yourself fairly deep and whether you're you know, I'm not talking tourniquet status or anything like that. Sure. Um let's uh, you you cut yourself it's it's kind of bleeding you put a bandage on it but you want to stay in the field and keep hunting um and you know the the worry that would come you know from my end would be infecting that wound uh what do you talk to us about infections on 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 like a cut
1: yeah absolutely so the the big thing i always like to tell people is the solution to pollution is dilution so the more that you can clean out that wound the better what, if cl- they clean it out any, with what though? Anything that you have, if it's preferably water is the best way to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you want to try to get as much of that because as soon as you, you have bacteria that are on, that's on your skin. That's actually, it's, it, it helps to prevent infection. But as soon as you get a cut, that bacteria, not just from the soil, but even your own skin can cause an infection. So the more that you can clean that out, I mean, you can just, again, it, if you have water there perfect you know obviously it would be best if you boil that water first that's
0: what that's what i was gonna get to what about like river water
1: you know if that's if that's what you have and and you don't have time to boil it that's fine um but i would i would try to get a if you have a sterile water source like either in a nalgene or a camelback that would be my first and then like you know like a a local water source would probably be my second, just because you're going to have organisms in that water too.
0: And so just boil it and like boil for what, 15 minutes or so, let it cool down and then just kind of wash it off.
1: Just wash it off. Obviously you want to make sure that it cools down a little bit. Don't pour the the scalding hot water um, on, but, uh, but yeah, you want to try to make sure to get that clean as you can and try to change that dressing daily. That's one of the other things that I see is like guys will put on a band aid and they'll leave that Band-Aid on for you know several days well that's just going to help Damn. that's Guilty. that's a source yeah i uh, right and that's just a source to harbor infection so and a lot of times too like people want to use that antibiotic ointment which is great but sometimes you know they'll keep using it and that antibiotic ointment then it, that's also can serve as it doesn't allow the skin to appropriately heal
0: oh okay cuz that's what because, i was going to ask you i noticed there's not like neosporin or something in your kit and you no. know I had a grandma so I I I've used Neosporin for a long time. <laughs> oh yeah.
1: <laughs> you, know? you know it 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 definitely has its place but what I found is that a lot of people like even working in the ER you know they they I mean it's it's great to put on initially but if you keep putting it on over you know like over a week what's going to happen is that that skin the surrounding the surrounding tissue is just going mean, to become so like and that, like think about if you keep putting Vaseline on a specific area that skin becomes soft becomes moist breaks down and then you're just it's not going to have that that you know your skin is trying to naturally heal itself okay so you you have this area then that's just kind of this open open wound
0: so just if you're going to use that use it initially right off the bat and then not don't put it on again after that
1: yeah. That's okay. what I usually recommend to folks. And same thing, like when, when folks come into the emergency room, we stitch them up, we put some Bacitracin or an antibiotic ointment over the top of it. And then, you know, after, after that, you know, we just tell them to keep, try to keep it dry and keep it covered. And I usually tell folks if they do have a wound, you want to try to keep it covered, uh, and, and keep it, keep doing daily dressing changes. Okay. And obviously if the wound gets wet, you want to make sure, um, I, you want to make sure that you change that, That bandage, too. One thing I I did want to bring up because you mentioned boiling water burns. So that's another thing that, with guys with the portable stoves, you know, I'm guilty of it too. So burns are definitely one specifically on the hands that we really, you know, there's really not much we can do for them in the back country. But the one thing is, is a lot of people when they get these blisters, they want to pop these blisters. I tell folks to leave the blisters alone because the minute that you try to pop something, one, it's not going to be a sterile instrument that you're using, and you're going to be promoting infection the minute you ch- you try to you know lance or you know lance that blister of whatnot. So mm-hmm. I always tell folks keep it covered initially right after the burn. If you have something cold, you know it's definitely going to provide you some relief. You know whether that's a running running water or like a like a creek nearby, definitely do that. But then just wrap a a dry dressing around there. Some folks like to use wet dressings. The the issue with that is if you use a wet dressing, that dressing is going to eventually dry. And when that dry, dressing dries, it's going to pull that burned skin mm, away from your body yeah, and be yeah. extremely painful. What What about
0: the same thing with your feet? Like if you get big blisters on your feet, don't pop those either. Right.
1: No, we actually put some moleskin um, in our kits too, just for just for that in case folks get hot spots. And you can also use some duct tape for that as well. But, yeah, I recommend not, you know, not popping uh blisters just because when guys when guys do that you know it's they're going to be they're not going to use like a sterile needle you know they're going to use their pocket knife they're going to use you know a toothpick or whatnot the same knife they just uh, gutted a fish it, like two uh, days ago yeah i've it, done that exactly no i've i've been there i've been there too and it's just we you know and treating a lot of these blisters i you know i found over the years that just leaving them intact is you know it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be much better for you than trying to pop them yourself.
0: And the the other thing that I always think about is, uh, well, that's not true. I'll just, uh, like, you watch John Wayne pour bourbon or whiskey all over a cut. Does that actually clean anything?
1: No, it, I mean, th- yes, there is, there is, you know, there's, there's alcohol in there, but if you think about it, what's in, you know, bourbon, whiskey, things of that, that's is what I sugar. think that, exactly. And yeah. that's just, that's, it's going to, I do not tell people, like I always tell folks, they're like, yeah, I just poured a little little Jack Daniels old number seven on it and that took care of it. And it's like, oh, that's <laughs> not, that's usually not how it goes. Cause there is a lot of sugar and alcohol. And I, I do not recommend that because that's just going to promote bacteria love glucose, which is sugar. And it's just, mm-hmm. you're going to be asking for infection in that, in that, in that scenario.
0: See, I it, it, like a quick story on that. What You, you were at Fort Bragg, right? So yep. I, I would imagine uh, you had a sugar problem out there. Oh, absolutely. And and so for for many of us out west, um, growing up in the west, I had no idea what chiggers were. And chiggers are like these little these little bugs that would wh- the way you blouse your boot in the military, they they'd still get in there and get right up on your calf, and you'd get like this yep. rash from all these chiggers. And uh, um, I had this first sergeant. He'd be like. Marines, what you do is you go take take your fingernails and just scratch it really hard and then pour Jim Beam all over it and then just let it dry. <laughs> and, and so I took him up on this advice. And, and, uh, I go back to the barracks and I'm like, I'm going to do what First Sergeant told me. And, and I'm scratching it. And it hurt really bad. And then I poured the bourbon on it, and that hurt even worse. And that was also, right. you know, more than just, just the physical pain. It was also the pain of, you know, a $10 bottle of uh, Jim Beam back in the day. It was a lot of money for a young Marine. Oh, <laughs> and absolutely. So, um, that, uh, and, and clearly it didn't work. It obviously didn't work. But I never told first sergeant it didn't work. You don't argue with first sergeant.
1: <laughs> no, ab- absolutely not. Absolutely not. You know, you do bring up a good a good point there, where you know, with the environment, you know, like specifically plants and and mm-hmm. or like things like poison ivy. Um, I'm always a big proponent of be uh bringing out a, an antihistamine with me, so things like either Claritin or or Benadryl. You know, Benadryl or diphenhydramine is is has that property because it makes you a little drowsy. So a lot of guys will like to bring, you know, Tylenol PM or Advil PM because it won, you know, you're a little sore after hiking. And it also has that, you know, if you have like itching or runny nose allergies, mm-hmm. it can help with that. The one thing I always caution folks about using those types of medications is it, is it can dehydrate you. So that's one thing I always tell folks: Hey, if you're bringing things like Claritin and, and Benadryl out, make sure that you're you're definitely replenishing yourself throughout the day with with water because that you know dehydration, heat injuries. I mean, they can. We we see a ton of heat injuries in October. You know, mm-hmm. just I mean, where it's like you know I we see more heat injuries actually in the fall and spring months than we do the summer months.
0: When when I was in Iraq, the most uh the biggest share of casualties for our unit was heat casualty um right it, absolutely. Was, it was a lot scarier than uh, than the enemy <laughs> at that time so um I, can you can you speak to that a little bit dehydration and uh like what what do you recommend hydration wise uh like a daily intake do you have do you have like a, i know there's a lot of info out there but i just like to hear it from somebody who with with you've spent a lot of time in some hostile desert environments you probably have a
1: pretty good opinion on that Yeah, absolutely. You know, a lot of folks, you know, they say like, oh, hey, I do. I I don't drink a lot of water and I do just fine. Well, when your heart rate's up and, you know, you're you're into that sympathetic drive, your muscles are firing, your blood's flowing, you're going to use up a lot more of your water requirement than you are just at home walking around. So I usually make it a goal to try to drink at least four Nalgene's. Um, as I'm throughout the day, that's, that's my goal. So it's roughly about a gallon of water okay. uh, because you can really, when you think about it, when you're sweating, you're in the mountains, the hard part is, is like specifically in September, you know, you, you it may be 40 degrees outside and you might be like, man, I'm kind of cold, but you're still sweating. Your body is still burning calories and you're losing water yeah. and you don't realize it. You know, people are like, oh, I'm getting a headache or I'm getting muscle cramps. and even you know, don't just try to slam water all at once. I usually try to just drink it throughout the day. And people get worried about conserving water. You know that I I understand that. Trust me, we've we've been in situations where we've ran out of water, and uh, you know it wasn't fun. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you never want to get yourself into those situations. So anytime that I that I'm near water, I always stop you know, fill up, you know, fill, fill up my water tanks or whatever I'm carrying. If it's a Camelback or an algae, whatever you're running and then continuously drinking that throughout the day. And if you have some sort of electrolyte replacement mix, there's a lot of different flavors out there. I highly recommend using, I usually use one in the, one in the morning and then uh, one in the evening just to keep myself, um, you know, just because a lot of times, you know, we're not getting the, not getting the the daily salt intake that you may that you may be getting because I think people underestimate the number of calories that they burn in the mountains.
0: I I agree. I mean, yeah.
1: And I think that's one thing where people just, you know, I didn't realize how many calories I was burning until, you know, I started, I started actually tracking and seeing how many calories I used on my watch and just one day. And I was like, well, that can't be accurate. And then (laughs) sure enough, the next I was like, yeah, that is actually really accurate. So I think water intake is, is, extremely vital um when you're you're
0: on out west yeah we've all we've all met that 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 person i keep wanting to say guy but um we've all met that it usually is a dude oh i'm you know i'm so tough i don't need the water i get by just fine but i mean isn't it is this is this is it a thing that uh if you let yourself get dehydrated it like really stresses out your heart and can create like actual heart problems down the road or is is that just a, a myth
1: well, I think it's one of those situations where it's not so much the heart issue. It's the electrolyte abnormalities that can come because you don't, because you're dehydrated. Mm-hmm. So that's where it can, it can come into play. You know, we've also, you know, I know you've probably seen this in the military too, from, from your time in the Marines where people can actually overhydrate themselves as well. And that can be a, that, that can be a huge issue. on you know, fortunately for the hunting community, that's usually not the case. Yeah. That's. Yeah, it's it's usually just not not drinking appropriately. The other thing, too, is eating. That's that's the other thing, too, is a lot of folks, you know, they just they don't want to carry the food. They don't want to you know, I usually recommend carrying foods that are like high, you know, like high quick gains, you know, throughout the day, like gummy bears or some trail mix to keep that blood glucose level up, Mm -hmm. because that's going to keep you active. And when you're active, you're going to be drinking more water, you're going to be moving with a purpose. And you're just going to overall feel a heck of a lot better than trying to just conserve and just eat you know one meal a day type thing yeah
0: yeah i've been guilty of that (laughs) where i'm like you know what i'm fine i don't need to eat uh i'm good and and i'll go like all day and then just not eating anything until night uh and and i always feel like shit the day after that you know what i mean oh absolutely and so I, i found that if you just force yourself to keep the calories coming in and 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 you know just stay on a schedule with it or whatever um, it, it's, it's not about that day. It's about the days after that and the longevity you can stay in the field. And so that's just my take on it. I, again, I, <laughs> I'm just a dude that, uh, doesn't know anything about any of this, but, um, no, this has been awesome. No, I'm man. Right there with you. Tell us a no, little thank bit, you. uh, about like, you're, you're a great resource, man. Um, tell us a little bit about or Orion Medical Consulting and kind of what, what your plans are and where people can find you, all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So our website is, you know, we are we're at orionmedical.org. We also have a Facebook page and an Instagram page. And really what we're our goal is to become a resource for the hunting community on all things medical. We want to be just like in special operations, we're a force multiplier. We want to do the same thing for the hunting community where we want to help educate people to go out and train their hunting partners on just basic first aid. You know, this is not this is something that, you know, just like what you guys are doing on your podcast where you're helping to educate those folks out there on elk calling and, and, you know, spot and stock tactics. That's what we want to help do on the, on the medical side. Where we're getting people you know comfortable with using tourniquets, showing them how to use it, showing them, you know, how, basic splinting things that are, you know, because those guys might be coming to, to get me or my family, you know, they might mm-hmm. just be passing by and I might, I might be in a bad way. And, you know, they might be the ones rendering, you know, rendering aid. And, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, hey, it's the, you know, the, the nurses and the doctors that are, they're doing all this stuff. But I can tell you from treating casualties in combat, it wasn't anything that I did. It was their buddy that put the tourniquet on or that, you know, the 18 year old kid stuffing a dressing in a guy's neck wound that was bleeding out and saved his life. You know, yeah. it was like, the, if, if that kid wouldn't have been there and didn't know the the know with all that that person wouldn't be here today Great point. i think that's where that's where that's where we want to go is we want to be a a resource for the hunting community and really give back and do to the way that the hunting community has helped us
0: god that's fantastic man i love it i love the mission i love i love the kit um and just you guys listening if you if you do jump on that website which i'll put it in the show notes so there's going to be um the probably both the instagram and the website in the show notes check that out the outdoor first aid kit is is 124.95 um and it has got all the essentials that we talked about i mean that's that's actually a pretty good deal and uh yeah i mean this is this is awesome man i appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your you've got a lot of experience i'd love to have you back on the show in the future um you could be like the the go-to medical guy for for the western huntsman podcast.
1: Hey, I'd love I'd love to help. I really appreciate you having me on, and thanks again for your service too, Jim. That's awesome.
0: Hey, you bet. But I've got some uh, I've got some future seminar ideas for you, so uh, oh, we're gonna perfect. have to we're gonna have to stay in touch. But yeah, this is this is awesome. Uh, guys, check it out. Jimmy, thanks a bunch for coming on the show. I can't I can't thank you enough. I'm really glad. Uh, I gotta I gotta call Dirk now and tell him thanks again because uh, this is this is perfect.
1: <laughs> well, thanks again. I really appreciate it. Thanks again for what you do.
0: Yeah, no problem, man. Let's keep in touch and we'll uh, talk soon. All right, sounds good. Send for five. for five. You made it all the way to the end.